Hello and welcome back to the Unboxable, Unstoppable podcast. I'm Elena Turley and this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Lion Life Academy for women who feel lost through motherhood and are looking to not only survive but thrive through custodianship, alchemy and a whole lot of fun in our community. We have a lot of fun. Uh, to find out more about that membership, head to lionlifeacademy.com. So today I have an incredibly lovely guest on the podcast. Her name is Amy McLaren. I'll tell you a little bit more about her when I get started with the interview. But what you do need to know is that she has had a very big impact in her life already and she's not very old. She's got a couple of kids. She lives in Toronto in Canada. But one of the things you'll learn through listening to this episode is how to tune in and focus on what you're really passionate about and turn it into your main purpose. We talk about some of the obstacles that can get in the way of that for us as women and mothers and how to move through those with ease and with simplicity. And we also share some lovely stories around what she's doing in the world now with her book Passion to Purpose and her charity Village Impact. So please enjoy this lovely episode with the delightful Amy McLaren. Hello and welcome to the podcast once again. I have with me today a very special guest who I'm super excited to introduce. This is the amazing Amy McLaren, author of the recently released Hay House book, uh, Passion to Purpose, A Seven-Step Journey to Shed Self-Doubt, Find Inspiration, Change Your Life and the World for the Better. Um, Amy has a membership called Lady Strength, which helps purpose-driven women transform the world. I'm just loving all of these already. And Amy is also the founder of Village Impact, which provides access to community-led education, leadership, and economic opportunities for thousands of children and youth in rural Kenya. I'm reading all this out. Um, I'm super excited to have you, Amy. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's a little late for you and early for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Amy in Toronto, 9am, 9.30. I'm in Sydney at 11.30pm. So do we sound different, do you think? (laughs) No, I just have always, I've spent a lot of time in Australia and every time I talk to someone from Australia, I love the accent and it's so calming and I don't know, I love Australia. (laughs) And I love Canada. Mm. So that's nice. A lot of love, a lot of love between us. Mm. And um, I've got all the lights on. I've been eating chocolate. I've been sitting here Googling random stuff like <laughs> does does dry shampoo make your hair have more volume and, you know, like random <laughs> weird stuff, trying to keep myself awake with strange things. There's kids sleeping in strange places all over the house so that I can use this room quietly and still talk normally and, you know, so it's great. We're really wow. committed. You've What's your morning been like today, Amy? Well, I'm, we were talking about this a bit earlier, but I'm in the middle of, we just finished a reno on our house that we bought back in the fall. So, in between interviews and meetings, I, I'm moving boxes around, <laughs> moving things around. Um, and then if I'm not doing that, I do have two young ones at home. I have a, well, not, I guess not so young, but a 10 year old daughter and a seven year old son. Um, so 
they keep me pretty busy in the mornings. If I'm, not, I'm sure I'm they do. <laughs> <laughs> so you've talked a little bit in just in the stuff that I've read about you and I'm in a membership with your husband as well and he's helping me build my business, which is super exciting. That's how I came across what you're doing. I'm also a massive fan of Hay House and for those that don't know, Hay is the, is the Hay and Louise Hay who um, I had the great pleasure of actually seeing live once oh, and uh, my mother it was amazing and she was incredible actually she like used the f word on stage and she pulled all this stuff out of her bra like she carried all these things she was really funny lady amazing and I think she was late 70s early 80s even then like it was wasn't that long ago but my mother when I was growing up would always pull the you can heal your life off the shelf and uh before we went to the doctor like that was the first step of our first aid it was emotional oh. first aid yeah so, I have great respect for Hay House and mm. it must be a real privilege for you to be a part of that. Yeah, no, a, a huge honor. You know, we've known um, Reed Tracy, the CEO, for many years and he's like a mentor to Stu and I. He's a great friend and I just love everything about him and the organization and the incredible authors that they have and so many, so many books that they've done that have literally changed people's lives with what their messages are. So yeah, incredibly honored to be part of their, their family, the Hay House family. <laughs> it's a very beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess the theme that's already emerging in this conversation is about living a life filled with purpose, about impact, about realizing potential. Um, you talk about currently being on a mission to educate women on how to live a life filled with purpose. So I just, the first question I want to ask you is, why is this so important to you? Where does that come from? Yeah, you know, I think it comes from like when I was little and that I've always been somebody that has, you know, volunteered and given back and done more than just things for myself, like always thinking outside of our family and our community. And that's really attributed to my, I mean, my parents as I was little, I mean, we went to soup kitchens, we had strangers over at the dinner table because they had nowhere to go. We were volunteering at the hospital. Like we were always doing something more for other people since I was little. And I kind of followed that thread throughout my teenage years and into university, continuing to volunteer that, that kind of local volunteering then went to international volunteering and living in refugee camps, you know, living with Thai families and just learning about other cultures and, and being a part of that community. And not only learning about them, but learning about myself and how we can work together and, um, and create impact or create some change together. And um, that did become my purpose. And in the book, it's you know, I really believe your purpose comes from your passion. It's what you're passionate about. And in, in using that unique passion that you have to contribute to the world in some greater greater way, because you can, it's like a vehicle to giving back and, and everybody's purpose is different, right? Like there's no wrong or right purpose. There's no little or small or, you know, everybody's is different. It's all uniquely their own. So for me, it's, it definitely, I think, started from when I was little um, and then became my purpose. And my mission with the book and in my life is that I all think we do, we all want to do good in this world, every single one of us. And we can all do that by using what we're passionate about to leave the world a better place. That's very cool. And how did you become aware that that was you, that that was your role in this life? At what point did that become clear to you that? making your passion into your purpose and writing this book and doing the work that you do, that that was your drive. 
Yeah. Like it, it definitely wasn't, I mean, like many things, it wasn't overnight. Um, like I would say like, you know, over the last 12, 13 years, um, it's been a journey. I went from, um, you know, I taught grade one, I was an elementary teacher for 10 years. Um, and towards the end of that 10 year time, I went through this whole identity, not identity crisis, but like struggling with my identity as a teacher versus an entrepreneur and making the jump from a teacher to an entrepreneur. Um, I think, so I don't know if there was a certain point, but I felt like it was building up to something because we started our nonprofit and then my husband and I would speak on stages before COVID. Now it's a lot of virtual stages, but would speak a lot in stages. And then after I would keep, I would kept getting the same questions or the same comments from people that would say, you know, I, I don't have, um, I don't have a big business. I can't do what you're doing, or I don't have the time or the energy to put into a nonprofit or, you know, I, I don't have a hundred dollars to donate. And, and it, it kind of got to a point where I was like, man, I'm like, you don't need to do all these things. Like, yes, I have four companies and a nonprofit, but that's me. And everyone is completely different. And you don't have to wait until you have these things to make an impact. You don't even need a dollar to make an impact. Like, and having an impact or, you know, is how you make somebody feel. It's how we want, people want to be seen and um, heard. And there are so many ways to do that aside from, you know, the, starting a nonprofit, like you could have an impact today. So I think the book just came from after so many people telling me that they can't do something when I'm like, yes, you can, like we all can, no matter where we are in life or what we're doing, we all have the opportunity to give back in some way. It's so true. I was just reflecting as you were saying that also, by the way, teacher becoming entrepreneur. So I understand that yeah. feeling. And uh, But you just reminded me of a story I interviewed recently, my grandfather, long dead grandfather's cousin, who I only just discovered was alive and living down the road from me. And that's oh, wow. quite important and impactful because my family were German refugees. So there wasn't a lot of family at his level, you know, in my grandparents' generation. So finding out that this guy and his wife were living down the road, I went and I interviewed him. I did an oral history interview and um, it was fascinating. And the thing that he remembered when I was asking him about his life, I said, you know, what do you remember? And there was very little actually because he's in his 90s now. So he didn't have a lot of very distinct memories. There wasn't a lot of real history in his story. But what he remembered was that when he came here, they first moved to a place outside of the city, a smaller area uh, yeah. north of Sydney, and that the kids he became friends with were very kind to him and he learned English and he played. He played with the postman's son and he played with the farmer next door's son and he said that when they moved to the city soon after that, they only really mixed with their own kind, you know, with other refugees and other migrants. Yeah. But in that place, he said, I don't remember their names, I just remember the feeling of being around them, the kindness that they showed me. And it's just so true what you say that often it's not so much about necessarily what we do in any large way. All those, those things are amazing that you are doing. I'm not yeah. downplaying those, but, yeah, but the way we make other people feel. And I imagine your book is going somewhere. Have you had some feedback about the book so far? Yeah, no, I've had um, lots of DMs and messages and reading the reviews and it's, it's really been interesting what people have, have gotten from it or the stories that they really relate to. And I actually spoke about this on a podcast yesterday um, where it, 
they asked, what was, um, what's one thing that you've realized since you've been writing the book or when you're writing it? And when I was writing it and sharing the stories um, with a couple of friends to get feedback, I kind of brushed over some stories and I was like, oh, I don't think this story is important. And they're like, no, it is. Like, I love that story. And oftentimes the stories that seem so simple to us or like that, oh, that wasn't that interesting are the ones that people are resonating with. And like, you know, we often forget that the simplest things that we do, not simple, but the little stories that we have can inspire or impact other people um, on their journey as well. Yeah, I think there's a famous quote somewhere, which I don't know exactly, but it's about people don't remember um, what you did or didn't do. They remember how you made them feel. Yes. And yeah. It's so true, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We're blessed if we're able to live in that space, I guess. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about just, just for other women who are looking for their purpose or their passion. I work with women who are mothers emerging through motherhood, mm-hmm. but possibly have lost themselves a little bit and possibly... Uh, not exactly sure what their next calling is or maybe have lost touch with that. And I wondered, has there ever been a time in your life where you've questioned it, that obstacle you were talking about coming to the end of your teaching career? What were the obstacles for you at that point stepping into this life? Yeah, so for me, an obstacle was absolutely myself (laughs) in terms of like the whole identity thing, like I mentioned earlier, where you know, I, I went to school as it, um, I did my master's in teaching. I actually did it in Australia, um, at Griffith university on the Gold Coast. And I, I lived there for a year. I taught up on, um, Horn Island and all the islands up in the very North, which was amazing. I absolutely loved it, but I, I came from that. I I went into teaching, taught seven years, had my daughter. And then at that point I kind of began questioning, you know, I, I didn't like, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I felt myself constantly going back to, you know, the stuff I did overseas and the travel. And yes, I was still traveling here and there, but what was happening was Stu was getting asked to speak at events or people, you know, I wanted to go and I wanted to encourage him and be there and travel with him, but I couldn't go because I could only go at certain times of the year and I couldn't get the time off. So slowly I began to feel like almost claustrophobic and all these like, I just couldn't do anything and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do because I wasn't, not that I wasn't allowed, but I couldn't take the time, I couldn't take the time off and it became a bit frustrating. But then I also was in this whole guilt period where, you know, I should be grateful that I have a job teaching in Canada. Like, you know, teachers in Canada get paid very, very well. They're well-respected. You have the pension, you have all the things that you have for that, for a job. And so I was like, well, I should be grateful. I have a job. I shouldn't be complaining, you know, and I went to school for teaching. Like I'm not, I don't know if I am an entrepreneur and I lived in that space for a while. And then finally I just decided to um, take a leave obviously when my daughter was born, but then I went back part-time. And I think for me, that was the answer and just taking little steps and, you know, part-time then eventually led to full-time but then I still didn't leave because I still have my foot in the door where I had two years that I was able to come back and if I wanted to. So I, like for, so I went part, I had my daughter, I went part-time, then I took a full-time leave and for two years in Canada, which sounds crazy, I could have gone back to teaching at any point if I wanted to um, because they held your spot. And then after that two years, you you walk away or you have to come back to the classroom. So 
every year they would send me an email and say, um, we're just checking. Are you returning to the classroom? And I'm like, Oh no, but I couldn't. It's like, I knew that I wasn't going to, but I, I just couldn't let it go. So I, I was in that spot for a while. And then eventually, yeah, I mean, I haven't been in the classroom now for six years and I can't imagine going back. So sometimes I'm like, I wish I had moved faster and listened to my gut and trusted myself enough to, to move on. And it, and it was an obstacle where I just couldn't seem to get, to get over it. And everybody's different. Like some people can move quickly. Some people take longer. I know my husband has always been encouraging and been like, okay, like, let's go. You can do it. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then, so it took me, you know, a couple of years here and there to officially move out of the teaching space. But now I don't regret it at all. Like that was to me, my teaching career was a chapter in my life that I'm grateful for and the community that I had and the friends that I made in that part. But now what, you know, you're able to create, create as an entrepreneur, there's no limits in like creating our life. Right. Like I've, I, I've created it now where I can work out in the mornings. Like I do my work. I come in I do the office. I do my thing. I can go to conferences. I don't have to ask for time off, right. Or request the time off. And, um, it flows a lot better. So definitely myself, that was a huge obstacle in just getting over. Yeah. My, it has a big impact on how we parent as well, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Having that freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, both, I mean, both are privileged. The ability to have a job like a teaching mm-hmm. job, that's a privilege. Yeah, and so is the life you've created for yourself yeah. now as and well. It's all, absolutely. And it's all about, you know, at the end of the day, what fills you up? Like, right. you know, if teaching is what, you know, and then, then amazing. Like I just want all women to feel joy and feel content and feel filled up in what they're doing. And um, for me, it just wasn't, it, it was good. I, like I said, I liked it. I never loved it. And I started to feel like it wasn't a fit for me, but everybody's different. Right. And the biggest thing is just that you're, you're filling yourself with passion because when you're, when you're in that spot of doing what you love, you become the best version of yourself. Like I, I'm a way better mom when I'm doing things that I love, um, a way better friend, a way better spouse when I'm in that spot of doing what I love versus not enjoying it. Um, so it's important, I think, to to look into that. And if not, that's amazing. If there is something there, I think it's important to look at it to see how you can adjust your life to make sure you're filling your bucket up with more things that you love. Yeah, there's a couple of really interesting things you've touched on. One is is the the obstacle that you mentioned about the shoulds, you know, like I should be happy mm-hmm. with this and I should stay here and I should do this job because it's what I've trained for. And, you know, you kind of have to get out of your own way. Like that thinking can yeah. be a bit of a trap, I think, for a lot of women. And we are, I guess, and I'm speaking collectively and maybe this isn't true for everybody, but... I feel like we are conditioned to kind of do that a little bit, to go, mm-hmm. well, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to be a good girl. We're going to do the thing that we train, you know, that sort of stuff. And sometimes, yeah, we need to, to get out of our own way, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. The other really interesting thing that you're mentioning there is is that the kind of person you are when you're doing what you're passionate about and when you're living in a way that's closer to your purpose is mm-hmm. that you have the ability then, you have a different energy. And oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it sounds woo-woo, but it's not. Like your energy is different because I think you're not spending so much time 
being this person that's not exactly you. And there was a quote in like one of these, you know, like American Idol, that sort of show we were watching tonight. And one of the singers, they were doing a little interview before they did their blind audition, you know, and um, they said something about the courage to be really yourself is a risk worth taking. Mm-hmm. And it was just a throwaway line, but I thought it's so true. And and I talk a little bit in this podcast about trauma. I've had some trauma in my life and I talk about trauma with people being, you know, something that can hold you back as well, sometimes an invisible force that holds you back. Yeah. And um, sometimes trauma can come from not being able to be authentically who you are. Mm-hmm. that's the reverse you know but when we are able to be authentically who we are even if we have to fight for that and give up stability or give up comfort zones give up certainty yeah. um it's incredibly powerful what happens then you know mm-hmm. and how we free up our time our energy all those things and i talk about this in the membership that i'm creating as well and it's a very powerful thing so it's great hearing you talk about it also um, I was going to say when you mentioned stepping out of your comfort zone and away from expectations, which is kind of what we're talking about anyway, how do we begin to do this? Like how do we know where the edge is and where is too far? You know, if, if you're talking to a woman who's still in that space where they're sort of in their comfort zone but they're feeling that calling to step out of it, what would you say to them? Yeah. First of all, I have to – I'm sitting in front of my window and I haven't had this in all the – podcasts and interviews are done the sun has decided to like shine so bright oh, so I that's keep beautiful. moving forward but um, I like that I'll take that as a good omen <laughs> <laughs> I think so um I think for that it's you know we often think that um sometimes maybe we look at our life and we think you know oh no I have to change everything about it because I'm not passionate about something and it's it's just not true. Like you don't have to completely change your life. I think that would be almost disastrous in some ways because it's just about putting little things in and it's not getting hung up on, you know, creating a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or, or these things. It's just like, just think about this month. Just think about this week. Like what could you do, you know, this week that would be some things that you're more passionate about because, you know, to get, um, we all say it's important to get out of your comfort zone, which I absolutely agree. But it's it's like it's like gradual growth towards something, right? It's like, and that's a healthy getting out of your comfort zone, and you can build on it. You know, for me, I I'm married to a guy that loves speaking on stages. Like the more people in the audience, the more excited he gets. And for me, that's like, wow, can I throw up? Like, cause I don't want to do that. Like I, that's not my comfort zone. Absolutely not. But since my, since my book and the nonprofit and our businesses have grown, I've started to come out from behind the computer a little more and do more podcasts and speak on more stages. But I, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm building it a little bit, right? You gain momentum, you gain a little bit of confidence every time you do something little and it kind of starts to stack on top of each other that it becomes a little easier. Like when I first did my first interview for the book, it, it, it wasn't very good because I was all over the place and I got so nervous, even though I had my notes, but now it's like, it just gets easier because I've done it more. And I think that's when you're trying to get out of your comfort zone or move forward. It's, it's about finding something little and then doing a little bit every time and building on it slowly over time. Cause it won't happen overnight. This fear I have of public speaking is a lot to do with stuff I say in my head. We not like the internal things, but then it also helps when you put yourself there, but then, you know, just keep doing it a little bit every time. And, and I'd also say, go on, oh, sorry, go, go on. 
No, you go. Well, it's also, I would also encourage people to like, you know, grab a friend. If there's something you're not sure you want to do, or it's out of your comfort zone, there's nothing wrong with grabbing a friend and doing something together. Like, I think as women, we have this thing where we've got to do it all ourselves and we don't have to, it's better when we're, you know, still often say we're better when we're together and we are like the way I work with my nonprofit and the team of people that help in our businesses, like we accomplish way more together when we're working side by side. So if there's something that you want to try that's out of your comfort zone or to move forward, grab a friend and and try something different together um, and, and then go from there, (laughs) but little steps. Yeah, that's lovely. I was going to say something very similar to that earlier. I totally agree and often say it. It's about the next right thing, the next right step. And I don't know if you know this, but I also teach ethical living and ethical lifestyle principles quite a lot. So part of that, you know, we talk about sustainability or we talk about ethical living and, and often I think that people think that that needs to be, you know, and I say this quite a lot, but like the zero waste, you know, no plastic, vegan, like 100% eco-warrior. And I mean, hats off if you are that person. I'm not downplaying what you're doing, but I'm just saying that's not the only way. You know, there's there's a lot of small things, little things, one at a time we can do. And I was talking about this this week actually. And, you know, if I look back on just a year ago and I'm not, trying to make any dramatic major changes. But even in one year, just little things one after the other. And same with the journey as an entrepreneur, you know, like little things one after the other and they just build up and build up. And I think when we try to make those big dramatic changes, they often don't stick anyway. You know, it's like a diet. You sort of do it for two weeks and then it falls away. It's it's sort of not sustainable anyway. So I think true sustainability and longevity is actually just like you say. It's a powerful um, shift in our thinking, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just, I mean, when I started, you know, when I started in my nonprofit, it was like, you know, it's been 10 years, but it started with an idea on the couch and then Googling how to do it. And it was like little by little has grown to what it was like, nothing comes up, you know, overnight, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, and we all have our stories of how, you know, twisty winding paths to get where we are today, but we learn from all those things too. And those little things that we do can sometimes change our direction and where we thought we were passionate about something, we get into it. And then we might realize that we we're not anymore. And then that's okay. And it's okay to pivot and change or change direction and try something else too. And just that thing about trusting that every step of the way it plays in, like you say, Mm -hmm. the teaching that you did, I mean, those skills definitely be playing a part in what you do now they do for me like I today I was putting together something for one of my little courses and I was doing a powerpoint and I was like oh look at that I'm teaching again you know (laughs) but in my own way and I was like thank goodness I have those skills and and I think each thing like again today I was um, putting together a kind of a presentation about permaculture principles I don't know if you if you know what that is some people don't but it's kind of an ethical lifestyle set of principles and uh, I did that training, you know, my daughter was 10 months old. I'd had a shocking time with her in her early life. We'd had some struggles and um, and I just needed to do something for myself. And so I went and did this two-week residential course with this amazing permaculture training place out in the yeah. country. You know, it was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and I felt crazy for the first few nights, like sleeping in a tent by myself after having a child, like with me, on me for all that time. Yeah. It was so weird, and, but amazing. And and then I kind of didn't use it 
But out of that came the desire to train as a teacher. And then here I am using my teaching skills and my permaculture skills in this presentation today, you know, and I was thinking it's crazy how those things, like we just don't know. We, we follow our passions, as you say, and eventually they kind of fall together somehow and they're like, you know, breadcrumbs along the way that we pick up and show us the way almost. And I guess it's really interesting. I mean, I'd, I'd love to kind of, understand more about the signs that led you here like when did you know you wanted to write a book was that something that just happened for you or did you always know that you know no you know what it's funny people have asked me that and I I wasn't to be honest I'm I'm not one that um had a book on my vision board at all like it was never kind of in my um like on my yeah I never thought I would write a book it's cool truthfully I I I like I have like writing moments. Do you know what I mean? Like I have, when I really want to say something, I can sit down and I can write it, but I'm not one to just write all the time. Like my daughter's a really big writer. She loves writing. She loves reading, but I'm just, when I have something to say, I want to write it and then I'm good. And then it's kind of like fills that. And um, and then I wait a while and then something else will come and I want to write. So um, yeah. So for me, yeah, it wasn't never on my vision, but what, but what became, why I wanted to write, it was not only for, to encourage people to, you know, um, use their passion to do more good in the world, but it was also to share, share our stories of our, of our nonprofit, because it's been such a journey, like our whole life really for my husband and I has been this journey where we've learned so much, so much about building businesses and self-development and, parenting. I mean, we adopted our little guy from South Africa. He's seven now, but we adopted him when he was one. And that was an eight-year journey. Like I learned so much in that journey. So it's like, it was a chance and an opportunity to kind of share behind the scenes of how the nonprofit started. And I think that's so valuable for people to hear those stories and to learn more about it and to build those relationships with, you know, our donors and people that do our programs or our business um, that are involved that way. So Amazing. Yeah, it just kind of, it just, it just like, I see in the book and you said, it's, it's following the breadcrumbs of yeah. what it led to be. And I mean, Reed from Hay House was asking me several times to do one. And I was just like, no, no, not yet. I can't yet. That's and then it just, cool. got, it just got to the point where, you know, I was having the same conversations. And I think that's a sign when you're having the same conversations with people yep. and that keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. Like that's a sign that that's something there. Right. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I think this is the message. And then when I went back looking at different stories of the nonprofit and, you know, like that kind of lifeline of our nonprofit, there were some good stories in there that I wanted to share. And it it just kind of fell together um, as it did, but definitely didn't have it on my vision board, but so grateful and honored to be part of Hay House and to mm, share. It's very cool. And we, did you always want to adopt? Was that was that something you had always thought about doing for an yeah. ethical reason or was it um, something that just happened in your life or? Yeah, no. So it's, it's funny because Stu and I, um, at, like, at, well, to be honest, at one point we weren't sure, I wasn't sure if I wanted children. I was a bit like, 
afraid of losing my identity and like all this kind of thing. (laughs) Um, Right. And then, and then we had our daughter, but we wanted to actually adopt before we had our biological daughter. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because my family or Stu's family have never adopted. We don't, we didn't really know anyone that had adopted, but we both wanted to adopt from Africa. Um, And I don't know where, to be honest, where, where it came. I think maybe from my volunteering overseas and like, just doing that probably kind of stemmed there. And I, that's something I knew that I definitely always wanted to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we tried to adopt first, but our first agency we used um, got charged with fraud. Um, no. So that was like three years, three years into it. And we found out actually when we were in New York and we were on our way to Australia as a couple yeah. um, and we found out then they had to go to court and blah, blah, blah. Oh that then, would have been a bit of a shock. Yeah. I write all about it in the book. It was insane. And then we ended up doing, um, working with another agency, but then I turned 30 and then I was like, okay, if I'm having my own kids, we should probably have, see if we can have our own now. Cause who knows if I could or what would happen or, you know, so then we had Marla and then we had to put our file on hold for the adoption by 18 months because of the bonding time they don't allow um, to adopt if you have any baby. Right. So then 18 months to the day, we opened the file again and then we waited a few more years. So from amazing. start to finish, it was eight years. But the most amazing thing is, and it goes into what we're saying, how things come together. And yeah. Um, yeah. I really believe it because Sam is his name. And if you put S is Stu, A, a for Amy. Oh, yeah. And um, for Marla, right? It's Sam, and that's his biological cool. name. And so I'm just like, anyway. So it, I it's, love it's that. Awesome. It's so I awesome. was crying as I read it, as I do the audio. But um, it's we learned a lot about ourselves in that journey, and you know that as well. So yeah, beautiful, yeah. amazing Great. story. And I, I guess um, I'd love to hear whatever you'd like to share with me and the people listening to this. Anything you'd like to share about? your charity about Village Impact, um, what it does and how they can learn more about it. Yeah. So our um, Village Impact is the name of our nonprofit that we started and we're community led in that we partner with other organizations on the ground um, and we build schools and the schools, actually we build the schools and then the government partners with us. So they sustain the schools, um, which I love because if Stu and I were to walk away today, I would, I know that the schools would still continue on, like children would still have a place to go. Um, so in a nutshell, we build schools in rural areas in Kenya. We've built, um, we're working on our 15th school and every, yeah, every school has anywhere from about 300 students. Our biggest one has about 650. Wow. Um, and then our 15th school is going to be an all girls school. And that came from, um, the community on the ground and the government and lots of talks and that they felt a girl's school would be would be good for this particular area. Um, so it'll be a girl's school and the proceeds from my book, Passion and Purpose, will go into building that girl's school. That is amazing, I think. Um, it's crazy to think. Like it started literally on an idea on a couch and <laughs> what it's grown to be, but thankful for everyone that's helped and participated. It's incredible. In, and it's just that it testament, isn't it, that if we you know pay attention a little mm-hmm. bit to the signs around us and you know, there's that quote, I think it's like, uh, energy flows where attention goes or something like that. Energy goes where, I don't know. I'm too tired to remember it probably. (laughs) No, I I know the quote. You know the one. And it's, 
It's so true. It's like where we put our focus, like you say, if we're passionate about something, we naturally lean in, we naturally lean towards and that changes things somehow, doesn't it? I mean, it's not magic, but it does change things. And well, you attract you attract more people. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like when you start becoming vocal about what you believe in, or your yeah. values, or your like what you're going towards, or what your goal is. It's like people then understand, and they you know they start to want to be around you. I know when we started our nonprofit, we were all over the place. Like our messaging wasn't great. We were helping here, there, and everywhere. And I felt like I was putting band-aids on everything. And then as soon as we went back to like, education is like what we're going to do. And the message became clear. It's like, all of a sudden people understood. And then it's like, well, I would like to help with that. And it's like, people came. And I think when you start to, you know, share your message or share Mm. what you're interested in, you start to attract people that want to help and come together with the cause. It's a little bit build it and they will come. I have a funny story like that, actually, just about being a podcaster when I was about, I don't know, I mean, maybe 20. I remember being, you know, at someone's house late at night, having a few drinks and reciting a poem or something to this friend of mine from university. And she just looked at me and she said, Elena, you have an incredible voice. If you don't use your voice for something, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That was a long time ago. And um, it's only recently I've started to use my voice in a way that aligns with what's really important to me, my values, you know, and what I'm really passionate about. And, And I guess it's been interesting to see what that does. People respond to it, like you say, in a different way. And I've had a lot of support come out of the woodwork for it. And it's very true. And and there's just also that thing about when you can get out of your own way and understand, I guess, and I'm at the beginning of this, I'm not, I'm not as far down the road as you, but what I've observed in this process is that when I can get out of my own way enough to let that stuff happen and give it a bit of space and clarity and you know, allow it to kind of flow. There's that fine line, taking action, but letting it flow, you know, a bit of both. Um, it's a, it's a powerful combination and it, and it does create some interesting synergies and that authenticity, people respond to it when you're telling your story from the heart, your Mm -hmm. truth, you know, and you're acting on that. I think it's very powerful and it certainly seems like that's what you're doing. So. Yeah. It's just like the little by little and following breadcrumbs and, you know, staying it's because I'm passionate about what I do. It's, it's easier. Do you know what I mean? Like I, it's easy to, that's not easy. And don't get me wrong. I mean, an entrepreneur's journey is not all, all unicorns and like roses or whatever, yeah. whatever they say, but <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, it's, you know, it can be hard, but it's, you know, during those hard times, because I am passionate about it, it gives me enough energy and focus to keep going and um, keep yeah. moving. I'm a martial artist and I'm an instructor in the martial arts and I'm going for a black belt at the moment and it's really like over the next year or two, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. I teach women and it's interesting because the challenge thing, you know, it comes up a lot. Like we do a lot of stuff that's really challenging and we get challenged emotionally in class and stuff like that. But it's a very interesting thing when I, because I love it so much, you know, I'm like, whatever, just bring it on. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. And That thing about, you know, we have trepidations, we have fears, we have uncertainty, but with the passion alongside, you can kind of just keep on making those small steps, I think, somehow, you know. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you do, I mean, I just think when I started our nonprofit, we, 
I was pregnant with our daughter and, you know, and I couldn't go, like, I didn't see the first school or get to be on the ground for, it was like two and a half years before I saw some of the buildings or got to see the community again, just because being so pregnant and then having a little one that was too tiny and obviously with nursing and all that to travel. And, um, but it filled me up seeing things on video and the computer, but nothing fills me up more than like being there with the community and learning from them and just being with them. So if I didn't have that passion, I don't know if I would have lasted two years. It's like the same with the adoption of like, you know, eight years, most people wait two years and be like, I can't do it anymore. But there was something like that kept calling or that my being passionate about it that helps for you. Yeah. 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 It's powerful. And I love when you talk about this, when you talk about the school and Kenya and your charity, it's very much a process of listening as much as giving, you know, so it's not just we're going to give you something you need. It's not that kind of unilateral kind mm-hmm. of Western approach, if you know what I mean. It's a little yeah. bit more culturally responsive and um, in, engaged with the culture and with a lot of agency from the people you're working with, and that's very powerful too, you know. Yeah, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because I don't, I think that's, they're a completely different country, a completely different culture. And, you know, I totally respect that. And it's, you know, it's us coming to learn from each other to create something amazing together. And all of our initiatives have come from our, you know, we have a ground team and they're all local Kenyans in our community. And it's fascinating being a part of the conversations. I feel honored that I get to sit at a table and listen to what they want to do and be able to be a small part of it. Um, with there. So Absolutely. Yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? It's a real privilege. There's a word for that in in I have a cultural background and there's there's a word in my in my culture which is about that. It's about the immense honor and privilege to be able to serve. So it's mm-hmm. like if you are the giver, you receive the most. Yeah. Kind of that concept. It's a beautiful concept. Mm-hmm. So I'm conscious we're talking, I'm starting to feel kind of tired <laughs> as we approach midnight and I'm thinking yeah. am I making sense anymore I'm not quite sure but yeah, I'm loving talking sense. to you <laughs> yeah lovely talking to I you hope too. I'm still making sense and um there isn't really anything more I think we can talk about unless there's anything you want to say about where people can find what you're doing and find the book please share yeah, I would love to, if it's okay with you, you just read a few lines from the please, book please. before we, so this is somewhat one of, well, I, of course, being biased, I love all the book, but I think I just love this because I'd like to share it with your audience. And um, it's all about the key to making a true difference is not trying to take on the world, especially if you feel you can barely come up for air. Instead, take a deep breath and you guessed it, come back to your passion. This is the starting point and the end point of making a meaningful impact of living a life that in the greater scheme of things has a mean, is meaningful and fulfilling. You absolutely have everything you need to make the difference. You do. And it's not about having enough money or power to change the entire world with one grand gesture. It's really about fully standing in your own integrity in what moves you, calls you, and fills you with joy and a deeper sense of connection to yourself and to others. So I just wanted to to end with that because it is, it's all about, you know, us and what our values and our integrity. It's not about a big thing that, that we can do. It's all the little things that we do. Um, that can bring joy to us and and joy to others. It's so true. And, you know, the other day, so we had a funny story leading up to this. We had a couple of time mishaps and um, it was very funny. But the other day when I was kind of getting ready for our interview, I 
just picked up a book, you know, it was one of those random things. And it was an old tarot book that I had that I've had since I was a teenager. And I just opened it, it was a random thing. And it turned to a page that was about uh, a lion. And that was really funny because your company is Lady Strength. And my membership is called the Lion Life Academy. It's about women finding their boldness and emerging. And so it was so funny that when I was about to talk to you, it opened to that. And it was a beautiful image for the fact that, yes, we need to, you know, bring in our lion self to do some of this stuff and bring in our courage and our boldness. But we also kind of have to tame the lion, the wild, Mm. crazy part of us, you know, that, that just wants to go and do crazy wild things and, you know, the untamed part. And we kind of need both and we need to have them in balance and, um, we can't be bold all the time, you know, but but it's great if we can use it when we need it, have that sort of lion energy and the strength that we need to do what we're passionate about. So I thought that was really interesting and maybe a nice note to end on as well. So thank you so much, Amy. It's been you know. so delightful to speak with you. Well, thank you for staying up so late. I hope you sleep well tonight. I hope I haven't been too delirious in our conversation. No, no, not at all. (laughs) Um, So with that, I will end the podcast. And thank you again, Amy. And um, people can find your book. Yeah, passionandpurposebook.com. You can find it. And then, of course, it's all in Barnes & Noble and Indigo bookstores. Um, And then you can get it online at Indigo. Or not Indigo, um, Amazon as well. And I'll have it on my bookshelf as well, a link to buy it on the blog. Um, as usual, Soul Mama Hub, you can find it on the Soul Mama Hub bookshelf, anything that's mentioned in these episodes. So, Amy, thank you for your time. And uh, I will look forward to speaking to you another time, maybe in person one day. Yeah, that sounds great when you're in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>